When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're going live. People can hear us, but they can't see us. Uh, we should be live in about, I don't know, 45 seconds or so. It's counting down. Cyberpunk Uncensored presents the GM Roundtable, Episode 4, Campaign Building. <laughs> Excellent. That's perfect. As hosted by an AI. Yeah. <laughs> Host John 2045. <laughs> Cyberpunk Uncensored. Hey, we're officially live. Everyone can can see us now. What's up, guys? Hello. Hey. <laughs> so yeah, everybody watching, this is the GM Roundtable. We do this on the second Saturday of every month, and uh, we get together with fellow uh, game masters. Um, sometimes you'll see familiar faces, sometimes new GMs. It just depends on who's available, but we get together and we chat about uh, ourselves, current upcoming event and stuff. Uh, we also talk about particular subjects, uh, game master uh, topics and stuff. And then we go to the, the, the public chat and we talk to everybody and uh, answer any questions you might have. Uh, so if you're there in the chat, uh, feel free to um, you know put your questions and stuff and we'll get to you. But yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it, uh, doing the introduction. Everybody, let's click on, on your token there and then get to your character sheet. Click initiative. Oh, oh gosh. Okay. So good right. happens in case of a tie. Yeah, so Mike, Mike and Joseph, you guys got have to go to um go to the die symbol over there on the left and just roll a one D ten. Let's see who uh who wins. There. A two. Oh, I okay. believe he goes first. Yep, Joseph. Alright, take the mic, introduce yourself and you know, all that good stuff. All right. Awesome. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Joseph. Online, I'm known as Tormented by Gnomes. I'm the resident DM and GM for Do Not Peak Entertainment, which is a full production studio. They produce all sorts of mostly esports focused content. But with our show Red Sky City, which is a cyberpunk red actual play, they're branching out into more RPG style stuff, often featuring talent from the esports community. So I'm the GM for Red Sky City. I'm also the GM for Casters and Castles, which runs a lot more RPGs, again, with esports folk. And other than that, I'm on the internet doing RPG stuff. Nice. All right, Mike. I believe I'm next. Yeah, you got next next there in initiative. Cool. So, hey there. I'm Mike. Also, you may know me as ELH. 
Uh, I don't really have an organization behind me or anything, but I am one of the crazy GMs doing seven games a week. Uh, three Cyberpunk Red games, three Star Trek Adventures games, one D&D, and if all goes well, a Warhammer 40k Black Crusade game on Sundays. So that'll be number eight, because again, I'm insane. <laughs> uh... In terms of projects, uh, don't really have anything to announce, but uh, let's just say if you're looking for cyberpunk content on Wednesdays, Thursdays, and or Saturdays, uh, would love it if you came and checked me out. Nice. All right, cool. And I'm uh, Rob Mulligan. I'm the founder of Cyber Cyberpunk Uncensored. Uh, we basically put out uh, live gameplay, uh, Cyberpunk Red tutorial crash course videos, uh, interviews. I have a podcast. We have a community blog. We also feature other GMs streaming, whether it's 2020 or Red. Just anything and everything cyberpunk. Uh, and you can go to cyberpunkuncensored.com to check it out. And just a shout out to current sponsors: Elderwood Academy, Level Up Dice, Lion Banner Games, uh, Frag Maps, uh, Cyber Topo, Cyber Fight Clothing. Got to give them a shout out. Good friends with them. Love that. Lo- love their stuff. And. Uh, and yeah, that's about it uh, as far as what Cyberpunk Uncensored is. So Phil, you can take the mic. Hi, I'm Phil. I'm uh, one quarter of Baby Beard Media, who we're a bunch of uh, Australian content creators. So we have uh, a couple of podcasts, uh, both pop culture, like our um, Futurama retrospective, which is coming to an end. Um, uh, Shut Up and Take My Podcasts, but also Roll to Cast, which is our actor-focused podcast. Uh, uh, podcast uh, RPG podcast where we do a variety of different games different game every season so we've done Cyberpunk 2020 as our first season and then Vampire the Masquerade we just wrapped up our Cyberpunk Red season and we've got a Pulp Cthulhu season kicking off right now uh, we also do a few Let's Plays uh, and things like that so uh, check out Baby Beard Media to find everything that we do nice Wait, what? what in the world building Oh, I think it's about that time. <laughs> <laughs> nice, you got the scene transition and everything. Wait, what? What in the world building? I don't know, it's just that stupid recording. I can't stop pressing it. <laughs> but yeah, if, uh, uh, I think, Joseph, you want to uh, introduce yeah. what, what this is here? So What in the World Building is a segment where each of the, the GMs at the roundtable presents their current projects, what they're working on, what they're excited about, and what they've got coming down the pipeline. Oh, yeah. Um, looks like, damn, Phil, killing it with that 20. Yeah, I, I somehow managed to uh, miss clicking <laughs> on my token, so I got a second go. <laughs> nice. Oh, Lucky yeah. me. <laughs> I'm I'm the DM, so I make the rules. Um, yeah, so as I was saying before, we just kicked off our new season, uh, which is uh, Pulp Cthulhu, which is a uh, mod for the Call of Cthulhu system. So uh, it's very much uh, a silly kind of madcap off the rails kind of take on the Cthulhu mythos. So it's going to be a bit of a change of tone for us. Um, we've got an extra player that we don't normally have. Our, our composer for our music's come over to do some extra stuff. And um, it's the first time uh, Sean's taking the reins as well as the keeper. Um, and yeah, e- every one of us has a silly accent. I'm doing some sort of uh, uh, terrible um, Norwegian accent. Um, so please, please check that out and, and tell me how awful it is. <laughs> we've got a, a horrible French accent, an Irish accent. And uh, Ellen's doing a kind of New York mobster. So it's very, very oh, fun, shit. very, very silly. 
bit of a departure for us. So yeah, please check that out. Um, we've also kicked off some some cool Let's Plays. I've been playing Ori and the, and the Will of the Wisps on our channel. And um, our ind individual Let's Plays are going as well. In terms of running games, I am gearing up for a little two little uh, Cyberpunk Red projects. So our colleague John John the Wise, who people might have seen on this very show. Uh, and if they haven't, um, please check his stuff out. Super awesome, both live stuff and uh, Red rules breakdowns really really cool stuff um he is uh he's he's kindly running us through a little um what was was supposed to be a one shot but is quickly ballooning out into a, a possibly a few sessions uh so we're gearing up to do that we've just put the finishing touches on characters bringing over our characters from our campaign and our setting um so it's really cool to have a bit of continuity like he's taken my setting material for cyberpunk red uh, this faction base of edge runners I made uh, called Heaven, and he's setting it inside that, which is really, really uh, cool to have someone else kind of take your material and run with it. So I'm really, really excited that's going to happen uh, in the next couple of weekends. Uh, and then promo still has not started for my other Cyberpunk Red project, so I still can't talk that much about it, but I have been uh, frantically creating NPCs and uh, setting up scenes and writing encounters for that, which I guess we can cover a bit later in the um, uh, from the screen sheet section. I can talk about the kind of process I have in, in putting my style of game together. Um, so yeah, uh, my uh, my my fifth edition game's on a bit of hiatus at the moment as uh, my uh, my DM's about to have a baby. Uh, oh. But I have convinced my group that maybe they should read Cyberpunk Red, and maybe we'll do a little interim game in the meantime. Oh yeah. Nice. So yeah, that's 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 uh, that's more or less me just uh, plugging away at little projects that are all behind the scenes at the moment, but hopefully should bubble to the service nice, uh, nice and soon. Oh yeah, it's always that quiet when everyone sees you just sort of plugging away at stuff that you can't talk about and you just want to. Mm. I understand. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, I believe you, you can see next. everyone else doing all these projects and like they're mm. doing all these games. And you see them, and you're like, "Why well, aren't I doing anything?" And you're like, "Oh wait, I am. It's just not, <laughs> just not out there yet." <laughs> exactly. Yeah, in a couple of months, I'll feel really cool. Trust me, guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for my projects, Red Sky City is our Cyberpunk Red actual play series that's on Wednesday nights. We are coming close to the end of Phase Two. We sort of do things in seasons. So I've got a big finale coming up for that. We're going to do Red Chrome Cargo next week. Then we're doing the grand finale, which will probably be a two-parter because it doesn't matter if you try to run it as a one-parter. You know, these things have a tendency to balloon when you thought that getting through the door and deciding to take the job was going to take 15 minutes, but the players want to fully research the background on all the NPCs you may or may not have touched <laughs> out in the moment that the players are interested in it, so you better come up with something really fast. We all know how that goes. So yeah. we've got... Yeah, we got Red, Size, Red Sky City Phase 2, which will probably wrap up in a couple of weeks. Then we'll take a short break while I you know, frantically lay down the, the uh, rails for the next season. We, uh, I'm working on some stuff that I cannot talk about yet. Uh, hopefully a couple more shows, a show or two that'll be coming out of Do Not Peak. That'll be a completely different system and a completely different setting, which will be super awesome if it goes down. But again, can't really talk too much about that. My baby, sort of my personal project with one of my friends, is my homebrew world, Anakra, the Four Kingdoms. It's, we're primarily running 5e D&D in it, uh, but it's just, you know, it's sort of designed for the lore to be at least somewhat freestanding from that. 
I have a weekly show called Lunch and Lore, where my buddy and I, the co-creator, will talk about some aspect of the lore of that world for an hour, since we've done several shows set in that universe. I've got a fifth edition, but we're using the amazing the Amazing Adventures hack for it. So we're running a multi-genre. Right now we're in a very pulp world. I was excited to hear about the Pulp Cthulhu project you've got coming down the pipeline. Uh, we're, we're in a pulp adventure setting. It's just a mishmash of, you know, mobsters and hard-boiled noir and, you know, raiding lost temples and weird science and all this nonsense mixed together. That's been a lot of fun. That show's called Coriander Society. And ultimately, it's a world, uh, it's a multi-dimensional campaign. So these characters are going to end up in giant robots fighting dragons at some point. It's going to take a while, but they'll <laughs> nice. get there. Uh, I've got... I've got a Descent into Avernus campaign I've been running, just sort of a smaller project with my friends that we're streaming that is intermittent on and off. And I may have another project on that channel soon set in the world of Anakra, but it's taking a while to put together, trying to get the perfect cast and all that stuff. And those are those are my primary balls I've got juggling up in the air between Do Not Peek and Casters and Castles. I'm happily, happily busy. Nice. And yeah, Rob, we... Uh... We rolled both 13, so you want to take oh, it first? Yeah. Or... I saw that. Um, yeah, let's just each roll a, uh, a 1d10 there. You get a roll off. Do you, do you guys sleep at all? Uh, debatable. Yeah, it looks like you got it. All right. I got the 10. Um, yeah, so for me, um, you know, I've, I've the same old, same old's happening. I'm still putting out episodes of Game Master Tips. Um, and I've been bringing guests in, not just putting out episodes about different aspects of gameplay and being a game master and different tools and stuff like the GM report card and um, just different assets and stuff that I've been kind of creating that haven't been done before, but also bringing in, like I said, guests. I just had uh, Guy Sklanders on. I've got a, a couple others planned. I know I had Phil on back in the day and just a bunch of great GMs talking about campaign building and things like that. Um, I'm also putting out the Cyberpunk Red tutorials almost every day. Um, I don't even know what number I'm up to, but I got the playlist there on Cyberpunk Uncensored on YouTube, and I'm basically covering every mechanic you can think of uh, in the gameplay of Cyberpunk Red, and just kind of breaking down how it works, as well as different role breakdowns, and I'm almost through all the mechanics, all the breakdowns, and now I'm getting into a more creative side of Cyberpunk Red breakdowns and and ideas and things, so it's going to get a bit interesting. Aside from that, still doing live gameplay uh, we moved our weekly Tuesday game to Wednesdays. We're on Wednesdays, uh, 6 p.m. Uh, Pacific Standard Time on the Cyberpunk Uncensored Twitch right here. And we do that every week. That's been the ongoing campaign of my original team. But I've also dropped in a monthly, uh, one sh- an ongoing one-shot, I'm calling it, because it is a one-shot in the sense that each session is standalone. I don't have any, like, to be continued, leave on a cliffhanger. That way, next month, if someone can't make it, I cycle in somebody else. But... Um, you know, all the things that happen stick. Everyone's gaining IP, money, lore and shit that they're going through continues on. Shit can come back and bite them in the ass in a future session, you know. Um, so it's kind of an ongoing one shot. And in that, I've got people like Steve from Sirenscape and uh, Tara Bella Pondsmith, which is Cody's wife. And, um, you know, a couple other friends, a fellow GM, uh, Rothens in there, Renegade. You might know him online, big, big uh, community dude um, who supports a lot of fellow uh, GMs in gameplay. Um, so just heavily into the gameplay still. Uh, but aside from that, been crossing over with Wandering DM. If anyone's familiar with him, we've been, I went over and used my wife's uh, solo, who's in my weekly Wednesday. I used her solo over in his campaign and went and visited. And then one of his players uh, 
Jimenez came over to the Rocker Boy and did a session with my weekly team that I GM. And then Wandering DM came over and played a Rocker Boy in one of the sessions. And then I think some of my players are going to go over there again. But we've just been crossover, and it's cool because we're kind of connecting the lore a little bit. So any fellow fans of each stream can kind of, I don't know, once in a while find a little Easter egg of something that might have come from their session or ours and vice versa. So it's pretty fun. Aside from that, um, upcoming shit. Um, still putting together that whole miniature package. I've got a company I've partnered with. We're going to be putting out five different sets of miniatures, each representing a different continent. They have magnetic changeable weapons and arms and things and heads. It's really cool. It's going to come with some map assets. I think Sirenscape is putting in some uh, custom sounds for it too. Um, so that's still in the process. Um, I also have something that I can't talk about. I'm going to mention that just for the hell of it because I want to be part of the club. But but I do have another <laughs> little project uh product package sort of thing that's multiple items that I'm working on, working on a possible licensing deal and some other things. Can't talk about it yet, but it's, it's really fucking cool. I'm so excited about it. Um, other than that, um, all that film stuff I was talking about in the previous episode, all my film work, anybody that doesn't know, aside from being a musician, and uh, which I have some of my past bands in the Sirenscape assets. You can hear it in like the nightclub cyberpunk red assets, but I'm also a filmmaker. And I talk about that regularly in, in between Cyberpunk. That's the other thing I do a lot. And uh, that has been pushed back now all the way till May. Um, it got delayed all year because of the quarantine and all that shit. I was so excited to get into this year. And things were going to be picking back up in February. Some travel and other filmmaking, big projects. And then, nope, everything's pushed all the way back till May. <laughs> and even that's up in the air. So, like, that's depressing. Yep. But that being said, I have way more time for cyberpunk, so I'm just, I'm just going to play more, make more videos, and try to do shit all the time, I guess. Fucking try to get just by. ignore what's happening outside. Exactly. Just stay in here, get on video chat, and ignore real, the real world, you know? Um, but that's it for me. Cyberspace. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> but that's it for me as far as current and upcoming. Gotcha. And it's actually interesting that I'm actually kind of the odd man out here. At least I know how people see me when I do Star Trek Adventure stuff, like... In Star Trek Adventures, I'm like this mini celebrity that everybody's trying to emulate. But for Cyberpunk Red, I honestly, I'm just getting my feet wet. Um, so to sort of give a little bit of background there, um, I have been running Cyberpunk Red since the Jumpstart kit. Um, I think I was one of the first actual plays to actually put things on YouTube, but I didn't really follow up because it was the Jumpstart kit and I only had so many tools to work with at the time. Um, but recently I've done a entire sort of uh, Extra Life campaign. I did that for a bunch of VTubers. Um, and right now, I'm really excited to be running three concurrent games of Cyberpunk Red. Uh, we have The Gang, we have The Undecided, and then we have the VTuber group, which um, I guess I should probably talk about VTubing, but I'll get to that in a moment. Mm -hmm. um, sort of the, the pull, at least for me, is that whenever I run games like this, is all my Star Trek games, for example, same universe. All my Cyberpunk Red games, same universe. So it was actually kind of interesting that today, earlier today, my Saturday group of Cyberpunk Red finally got to see The Starry Night, which I'm not going to spoil anything, but let's just say that that was the Thursday group's mission to get The Starry Night. Um, so I sort of have a lot of crosstalk and a, uh, a lot of interesting things going on between the streams. Um Honestly, again, I don't have like super sponsorship deals to talk about. I don't have like super merchandise stuff to talk about, um, but I'm very happy to be here all the same. 
See, if I, if I were you, I would have still been like, and I do have something, but I can't talk about that shit. Yeah, I guess I can use my time to talk about VTubers because yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's a passion of mine. So if you're not familiar with VTubing, basically it's this concept where instead of using, you know, regular webcams like we're doing now, um, basically the whole premise is to allow people who maybe can't do normal webcams or maybe they're not comfortable with it. Maybe there's a risk of doxing. You know, there's a whole bunch of reasons to do it. Um, but you would basically use a virtual avatar, um, 2D, 3D, case in point, it's just a virtual avatar. And it's interesting because almost a lot of the people behind VTubing in the community are, in a sense, role players at their core. Um, because usually when people don the virtual avatar, they're already role playing a character. And to bring that sort of personality into something like Cyberpunk Red, it's extremely interesting. And um the extra life game for example i brought in someone who was brand new almost brand new to the hobby and i was able to bring in her entire vtuber character into red without really any homebrew whatsoever yay exotics but i don't know i mean it's one of those things where i'm the type of gm where i just try to get people who don't have opportunities like forever gms I try to bring in people who maybe not have had a chance to play, and I sort of give them that microphone. I give them that chance to play. Um, yeah, that's that's all I would say on that, really. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry, I absolutely love playing with people who are, who are fresh either to the game or the hobby. I think they add a lot to, to a table. Um, but I think that brings us round two from the Scream Sheets, yeah, which is where we bring it onto the topic that yeah. we are going to cover this week. And we're all going to give a little bit of our take on how we put a campaign together, which sounds like it's really a good time to do that as we've got a few different irons in the fire, different campaigns, different styles that we're running. So I guess we're just going to roll our initiative again and see who goes first. I am on fire tonight. Yeah, yeah you're doing real well. Ooh. A one. Where are these rolls when they're just completely shellacking my NPCs? Right. <laughs> I mean, that's how RNG Jesus works. As RNG Jesus says, well, your mooks are going to die today. Sorry that you spent 20 minutes with their backstories. They're dead. Right. Though, yeah. brief aside, uh, when I ran a lot of 3.5, I ran a lot of D&D 3.5, and I had a solo campaign, and he was supposed to sneak into this bad guy base where all the leaders of the evil factions were meeting to discuss their evil plans. And each one was custom built from the ground up as a fully fledged PC <laughs> with a unique prestige class to represent their evil organization. So for this fight, they're all like a level or two below our hero. So he has to fight all these bad guys at once. Mm -hmm. So he walks in invisibly, casts the spell that automatically blinds you if you're lower level with no save. And within like 30 seconds, I spent all afternoon designing these guys. Just 30 seconds completely negates the entire encounter. Oh. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm the type of person that I actually kind of take my hat off metaphorically and go, well done. You've broken my encounter. Yeah, yeah. Well done. <laughs> yeah it's it, it's bittersweet, isn't it? It's that feeling of like, hmm. I mean, the, the last. Uh... Well done. The last mm -hmm. session that we had in the week, I had I beefed up the characters because like my wife plays a solo, got up to like rank six or seven now, and like they've been using their IP tactfully. I was like, time to beef up their encounters. Let me be a little more tactful in battle, using cover and playing it like chess. And they still destroyed them. Like that, just I was crit failing on rolls. They were crit successing. They were mm -hmm. putting luck on it perfectly, the amount that needed to get them over the DVs. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, damn man, like you just. <laughs> 
dominated that shit, but it was still fun. Well, that's the thing with the D10 <laughs> system, though, is that it is, it is naturally a bit more swingy than some other mm -hmm. systems. So oh, yeah. you, you kind of have to factor that in when you're, when you're putting your encounters together. Mm -hmm. so who who is that joseph max yeah, that 20 hell yeah 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 and, and i accidentally double rolled it and i got two 20s in a row so you know the, the powers huh? well there you go They're meant to be yeah so we're talking about campaign prep and for me this is a this is a many-headed topic and i'm sure you're all going to agree one thing that i've really noticed is that when you are doing rpgs and campaigns as content I know this isn't the case for everybody. Some people, they're just like, what you see on stream is what you get at my table. But for me, pacing is a lot more important when it's content. And I, I approach things very differently when it's a content-based campaign uh, for a number of reasons. One, because I, I don't have to just worry about entertaining my players. And sometimes, we all know, players are completely happy to shop for your whole three-hour session. Or to spend mm. the entire three hours, you know, checking for traps at a door or whatever. And <laughs> as experienced GMs, you learn tricks to break them out of those ruts. But sometimes that's just the thing that they're enjoying. And it doesn't always make for good TV. So I find myself structuring my plot points differently, structuring my session differently. And I think I've started to bring that over to my home campaigns that are not content focused. Because that episodic, natural, dramatic arc, uh, it... it does a lot for people who have full-time jobs and can only play occasionally or aren't like 100% nerdy hobbyists like we might be. But this is just a fun thing they do with their friends. Creating that really strong dramatic arc within each episode and thinking of it more as an episode can help a lot. Generally, People speaking, might not only have a couple of hours to play as well, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I am pulling people for my shows who have other on-stream careers. You know, their time is valuable. They might make more money uh, streaming their top game in their top time slot. So I have to use their time well. As for actual campaign prep, I know there's a lot of schools of thought on this. I often start with, there's an idea I have in my head for something I think would be cool or something I think, I think would be fun. And I don't develop it that well because I go to the players, right? I start out with my core idea. So in our campaign, there's a conspiracy. The whole idea is there's this sinister conspiracy that is behind everything, controlling everything. Then I go to my players and the life path system for red is a huge gift. But I've started taking my favorite aspects of character creation from different systems and stealing them no matter what system I'm running. There's a fate system for character creation that I love that helps me connect people's backstories. So I start with, what's the cool idea that's going to hold this campaign together? What are my players bringing to the table in their backstories, which is not only going to tell me, you know, cool plot hooks for me to mine and plug into my framework, but it's also going to give me an idea of what they're interested in, what excites them. Once I've got those two pieces together and I I've finished session zero, then I'll start to do my big plot beats and I'll start to detail my core characters. And that's sort of the, the basic framework, the skeleton that everything else develops out of. Nice. Cool. I think I'm next with a 17, yeah? Um, cool. No, I've got 18. <laughs> oh, you're not on my initiative <laughs> you order. You that's just didn't why. put it in the initiative uh, order. <laughs> all right. Well, yeah, then I'll, I'll start. I mean, I'll be fairly quick. Uh, it's, I pretty much break mine down into just numbers and, and in a sort of way because i do them on my gm tips and you can kind of get elaborated versions there but 
I used to always kind of define the theme and main plot, and then I would define the locations that I want to use, typically basing those on whether it's, you know, using the mind's eye, if it's just more of a, a vibe situation or a role-playing situation or using an actual map, if it's going to get into some combat sticky stuff. Um, then I'll define the key points that I want to involve that kind of coincide with the main theme or plot that I have that I know I need to have them do, like find this, talk to that person to get that info. They're going to have to go there. I have all those main points. Then I can place those in. Then I set in my NPCs, each one being dynamic. We, uh, we did a whole uh, uh, episode about NPC building, which is uh, some great info there. Uh, then I incorp- try to incorporate player life path. I don't overdo it so it doesn't feel contrived, but I'll at least find a couple little sweet things to kind of drop in throughout the campaign, maybe in a session here or there. Um, so there's, I don't know, some involvement and, uh, I don't know, accountability or investment from the players in it as well. And then, then at the end, I'll kind of do a walkthrough. I'll kind of, in my mind, as I'm laying in bed, falling asleep the night before, typically, you know, I'll go through my head as if I'm a player and like go through the whole scenario and the different places and what I think. And I'll think outside the box. Okay, well, maybe they might go in this way or do this or do that. And I'll kind of plan out little plan B's and C's and other options and things that I know I can move around, like those little uh, key points of things they might have to hear or find. I'll know, okay, well, if I have to, I can put this, you know, that piece of information on that NPC over there if they don't get it from there, because that's important and they've got to find that, but give them a couple options of tactfully getting to it. So I'll just kind of... You don't, you don't sleep. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I go through that all, all in my mind all night, then I wake up and start playing, but, I, you know, but no. Um, and, then, and then I just go back over and generally uh, have like a little four-point system where I make sure, you know, I make it dangerous, I make it dirty. I make it diverse, and then I make it high tech, and that's kind of my cyberpunk, you know, general way. Um, but more recent times, I've been kind of reverse engineering that shit and just kind of going into my database of maps I have hookups from, from Lion Banner Games, Cyber Topo, Frag Maps, the different sponsors I work with, um, and friends online in the Cyberpunk Uncensored Discord. They're always posting stuff. Um, so I'll, I've been reverse campaigning or whatever like i'll see oh man these maps are cool i want to work with that and then i'll develop a story based on that and where it can lead to and it's been a lot of fun kind of working it backwards that way Um, i've actually moved in that direction too nice oh yeah it's a lot of fun you know it's it's not typical of what i've always done and i think that's why it's fun for me to kind of do it that way um and i think the players like a fresh way to spark ideas i think is always going to be good for the creative process so just oh yeah if you're feeling like you're in a rut doing that and saying why don't i approach this from a different angle and go location first and make a story i think can really revitalize you if you're feeling like oh i'm really stuck for ideas now or i feel like i'm played out just just switching up the way you approach it makes a huge difference no big difference sort of going back to what you were saying a moment ago uh rob when you've got I find that when you're doing campaign prep, time you spend investing in your toolbox is almost always better than time you try to like carefully plot everything out. Because oh, exactly. Because if you have all these cool map assets, especially when you're running digital, if you've got a scene with dynamic lighting and creatures and you've detailed different custom NPCs and they're already in your journal or wherever you've got them, so the players go off base, but you've got you've done this pre-work to develop oh, yeah locations and characters you may not even think you need to use then you can improvise on the fly and basing it around those assets like you talked about is a really robust way to do that oh thanks no i I totally agree and lately it's been uh, extremely vague like i used to write way back in the day i would definitely get more detailed in my writing and my planning and now i'm just like okay fuck here's the here's the main campaign the cool little twist on it and how i do it and like 
Let's go for it. Let's see what they're, what kind of curveball they're going to throw at me this session. I'm going to try to catch it. Let's go, you know, because it's always creative and it's a lot, it's a lot of fun that way. But I want to say the, the extreme newest way that I'm going to kind of do, because I've been reverse engineering with the whole map thing for a while now, the newest way I'm going to do kind of comes from Guy Sklanders. If you don't know, he does the whole series on how to be a great GM. He's been doing it for years. He's, he's amazing. I just did a GM tips episode. He came on board um, and did a whole campaign building episode. You can see that on the, on the cyberpunk uncensored YouTube, but he, um, he has this thing that he does. It's just a sentence and it helps him build a campaign. And it's someone wants something badly by a specific time and is having difficulty getting it using certain things because of the players. And that, that sounds like a mouthful, but if you take that and then you replace the someone, the something that, you know, the, the, the different key things there, mm-hmm. it makes sense. And you have your whole campaign and you can see where it can break up into sessions. And it's like this, if I take that sentence and here's like an example, me and him were messing with, I kind of altered it, but the someone we, you know, a court, let's say a corporation, they want something badly. They they want to manufacture these battle drones and they want it badly because like if they get it done, they can sell it to, let's say, some other corp or something for a lot of money, right? At, by a specific time and by the end of next quarter to sell them to another corp, obviously. And the reason you put that time is because you want the pressure on because if there's no time, they don't care to do it. They can just do it whenever, yeah, you know, so there's a little bit of pressure. Um, and then it's, they're having difficulty getting it using certain things because of the players. So maybe the things that they're using is like, say, an AI that's manufacturing and running their, they're manufacturing an old AI that they've taken over. And the players have encountered that some way. So that's the difficulty getting it using these certain things. So maybe like the players, whatever they're doing, they're on the way to a bar, restaurant, shopping, or whatever they're enjoying. All of a sudden, the car radio system, all their agents gets taken over by an AI. All of them at the same time say like, help me. I'm an AI. I'm trapped. Please save me. Coordinates. Now, all of a sudden, they're like, what the hell? They're going into it. Whether they destroy it, now the corp, you know, they ignore the AI or do something counteractive or go for it. The corp knows that that info went out. They got to destroy all evidence or, okay, the AI is gone. However you twist it up, you can, as long as you bring to life these different aspects, the corp, who they're selling it to, the reasoning, you just make that dynamic in your own head the same way you would bring an NPC to life. You give them personality, you give them motives. So no matter what the players do, you can bring it to life and act accordingly and it feels natural. If you do that with that sentence, with these components... You can handle any curveball that comes and just roll with it. But it basically lays out that whole campaign in a way um, that's a lot of fun. And then I've also made charts kind of based on that sent- sentence and some stuff I had before, um, which are going to be digital assets included in that product thing I can't talk about. <laughs> but I've made these chart assets that you can basically roll out a whole campaign kind of using the sentence and some other things that give you all the options and you go to the next color component and it, it just lays out a campaign, but it's pretty much like that sentence, but I think that's a lot of fun. And that's the way I'm going to kind of build the next couple campaigns I do to see how it goes. That's it for me though. <laughs> cool. So it's interesting that we brought up the uh, topic of toolboxes um, because again, I'm coming from Star Trek adventures into red. And for those who aren't familiar with Star Trek adventures, you literally frame everything in terms of scenes and scenes are a very important mechanic in Star Trek because there's meta currency involved, but I won't get into that. Point being is when you set up a Star Trek episode, a Star Trek, Star Trek Adventures episode, um, you have to sort of quantum ogre the players from point A to point B, where you have to make them think it's their idea to go to place X and do Y. But in reality, you just sort of have that toolbox that we mentioned earlier. You have the NPCs ready. You have the maps ready. And the players are going to get to them no matter what. I mean, they're 
gonna get to them whether they like it or not. But it's for me, it's key for me to let them think they're in control, um, not just from a meta currency perspective, but from a general play style perspective. And to bring that over into Cyberpunk Red, um, what I do specifically is um, I cheat a little bit. Um, I look at things like Shadowrun. I look at things like Netrunner. I look at other mediums that have been used in the past. And I think, okay, how can I take this premise from Shadowrun, not only distill it into Cyberpunk Red, but how do I put my unique twist on it? Um, And I guess I'll just say this because at this point, everybody's going to know. So the Starry Night thing I mentioned earlier is actually an adventure in Shadowrun 4th Edition. Whole premise is the players have to go in and they have to steal the Starry Night, the famous Van Gogh painting. Well, they get into the museum, wherever the painting's located. It ain't a painting. It's an aquarium with biotechnica fish in it. So they now have to figure out how are they getting a literal ton aquarium, not only out of the building, but to whoever's you know buying this sort of art piece, quote unquote. Um, so it's sort of it's sort of one of those things where, to me, I'm more of an improv GM. Where yes, I have a Trello board of NPCs where I can go, okay, this NPC is using this token. They have these motives, X, Y, Z, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm more of a reactive GM. And I want to talk to something I saw in chat earlier where you just sort of saw me very passively listening. That's sort of my GMing style where I'm content to let the players construct their own ideas because nine times out of 10, the players are going to have an amazing idea that you never thought of. And to me, it's more interesting to explore what the players want to explore rather than maybe not railroad them because I I don't think railroad's the right word, but not like force NPCs or force plot points on them. And to keep them from just going off and doing shopping. Yeah, it's a little bit more of a hassle that way, but it's worked out so well so far. So one of my signature phrases is I'll just the players will do something and I'll just mutter, well, that's canon now. And it's usually mm, yeah. <laughs> when they make up a detail about the world that I haven't explored that's too good to let go, or mm. you know, whatever sinister plan they think the bad guys have is better than the sinister plan I came yeah, up with. That's like, oh, yeah. Delete, 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 delete. They start mm. doing paranoid discussions, you know, like, yes, very good. Yeah. 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 You never know. Uh, yeah, the that. thing about guiding people into where you want them, I like to, to, to give this sort of like simple example of, um, a, you know, the party meets uh, a fork in the path and they don't know what's down the left and right path. Uh, and the thing is, what's down the left path is what you prepared, and what's down the right path is what you prepared. But the players don't know that. They know that they've made a choice of where to go. Um, and so you can kind of you can kind of simulate agency. Obviously, don't do that for mm-hmm. everything. But there's mm-hmm. ways of kind of um, hiding the, the, the prep such that it's it does tricks. feel a bit more like, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a bit Slide of sleight of hand to make it feel Slide like, oh yeah, we decided to go here. It's amazing that you have that prepped. You're like, mm. I did a campaign <laughs> building episode. I had uh, Patrick on, he's been on an episode of game mass uh, round table. And, um, and we talked about that too. And about how it's kind of like a sleight of hand and you just kind of, you, you tactfully move it around and, how players always come up with kind of a almost a better version than you thought, or at least to you, you know, it's a creative and they'll throw those curveballs. And like I told him, I said, anytime they do that, you just kind of like lean into it and act like, yeah, that's exactly what's going on. Like, damn, that was a great fucking mm-hmm. idea, but you don't let them know. You're just like, no, it's exactly what the fuck's going on. You're right. Mm-hmm. And you just <laughs> lean into it and you just, but I love yeah. that too. I think it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, you know, like I said, loosely planning and just going with it. Obviously that's 
all of us are experienced GMs because that's, you know, a, a bit more difficult to kind of just go with mm-hmm. whatever. And at the, at the moment, you know, cause you can kind of stumble up if you don't have the experience of how you can deal with certain things. Um, and that's mm-hmm. where like, you know, maybe a little more extensive planning can come in with, with your different options and things, but. Well, and and like Elaine said, you can you can borrow ideas from places, and that can help you kind of understand how a good campaign is put together. If you're starting out and you're like, uh, I don't know how to build something from scratch, look at campaigns you've played in or campaigns you've read from any sort of game, and you can take the lessons from that, even if it's a completely different style of game, different kind of world. You can say, okay, what was compelling about this campaign? Oh, this ticking clock here just made every session exciting and then you know okay i've got to find a ticking clock for my campaign because that's what's going to kind of give it that extra punch and so you can you you draw from wherever you need to to um, create your campaign and when you're starting out you might need to lean really heavily and then later on you'll get more of a flow and you'll be able to put more of your own ideas into it a good gm imitates a great gm steals hmm <laughs> Couldn't have put True. it better myself. Pretty sure I stole that. Uh, so, I, I, are you sorry? Are you, is that you wrapped up? Yeah, I honestly didn't have anything else to say there. So <laughs> go for it. Cool. Um, so, I, I have a bit of a different style. I, I, I do like to doing scenes, but I like to sort of uh, rather than uh, I like to, to curate it a little bit more, um, maybe a bit closer to Rob's style, where I, I kind of pace things out, kind of like a movie. Uh, plot where I'll have act where the story will kind of expand and then contract to um, to maybe like a set piece or, or a finale uh, and I use I really like that that kind of structure both for myself and my players that said um, I think uh, bef- uh, I think I really agree with like um, with Joseph's idea of you know getting your idea get the players input and then evolve from there but I think you can start even earlier and you can be like, okay, what, what kind of game are people coming for? Are they coming for what's sometimes known as a West Marches style game where you have a bunch of characters who live in your setting and they can kind of pursue their own ends and people can drop in and out of the game and it's, sort of, it's open-ended in that way? Or are they here for a movie plot? Do they want to be, you know, you know, rock stars saving the world? You know, that, that can be... Um, uh, those the prep for those two types of games are really different uh, and you need to approach them in a different way. So you kind of in that session zero, find out what sort of game your players are down for, um, especially as you can kind of hybridize those as well. So I like to, yeah, really kind of go go really back to basics and find out what the expectations of my players are before I even put anything down on paper. And then... Um, as you say, our scenes, I think, are a really effective way of, of running, um, uh, particularly things like cyberpunk, which have as much a social element as they do a combat element. So, um, yeah, people want to fight and they want danger, but you need to put in kind of social challenges and stuff as well. And scenes really help you structure those. And I think the stuff that Rob was talking about, this person wants that uh, for this reason, you can you can use that format for individual scenes, like individual social scenes. You go visit your fixer, right? And the fixer wants um, black market cyberware because he, you know, the maelstrom are leaning on him hard to get it. 
you know, and if he doesn't get it, they're going to cut his legs off, right? And that's just in that scene. And and that gives the person in that scene some motivation and some reason to be there and um, something to clash with with your players. So I think you can take those techniques and you can drill them down into your, your smaller areas as well. Um, so yeah, I like to I like to string things together in sort of set scenes. I think I will have. Obviously, you need to have room to improv around that if your players come up with new ideas. And there's that's that's for me where my toolbox comes in, where it's about having a, a set of encounters you might want to use. Oh, I feel like the pace needs needs some danger on the street when they're transferring between this scene and this scene. What have I what have I thought about ahead of time? Ah, okay. What about these gangers like hassling a shopkeeper right and and they spot you and and you have to sort of interact with that idea so it it saves you the mental space at the table to have a little toolbox of things you know i need i need what do i need right now i need a i need a a crazy street profit okay i'll just grab this guy out of my my toolbox so my idea is my style is really like a hybrid of of curated kind of movie plot and and uh improv on the fly stuff uh and i feel like it can be a hard juggling act but it can really help the pace as you say um joseph pacing is really important even when you're not making content uh my our podcast our role-playing podcast we actually edit in post we add sound effects and stuff so it's it's not such a big problem when you're doing doing that but i still think you get better performances even when you're making content if you can keep that energy and that pace going. And I think the last thing I want to talk about is uh, preparation for individual uh, uh, encounters, right? So a lot of cyberpunk particularly is about the mission, whether it's a heist, whether it's a breakout, um, you know, uh, whether it's clearing out some, some gangers who are hassling your community or whatever, there's often a, a, a kind of uh, a gig or something that the players need to take on a job. And uh, as Rob was saying, you, need, you kind of you can brainstorm all you want about like, oh, this is how I would do approach this situation. But it's often uh, a lot more um, uh, freeing to just set up the situation in its parameters um, and uh then kind of give give the situation multiple angles of approach and being like okay this is just this is just a building with its security and you can approach this however you want with multiple ways to to go about it so for instance um uh the first in the subpunk red campaign in our podcast um feed the beast the first uh, proper mission is they go and raid a, a vault of uh, frozen seeds from Biotechnica. And so I've got a map of a building, which is just a random building in Silicon Valley. I took a Google Maps picture of, and I say, right, well, if they, there's, a, there's a door on the roof um, that's covered by these cameras, or there's a, a fire door in the admin building, or a more secure bu- a door that can get you straight into the lab, there's a security guard outside they are doing this um uh and then you can you could approach them they might approach them and uh get uh uh, get them distracted some way while others sneak in or they might uh hack the building security first they might go in from the roof 
there's always different ways to approach it. And then you can just step away and go, here it is. I think the best colliery might be something like a mission from Dishonored, say, where it's just that here's the map, here are the objectives, uh, that's your playground. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you don't have to predict what the players will do. And doesn't you just it... have to present a realistic situation with a realistic response from the corp or whoever. And doesn't it, like, to it, 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 at face value, when you say that and you say all that, you know, at face value and probably to a new GM, it seems like that would be more stressful. Like, you want to map it all out rather than map out exactly what it is and then just make it realistic like however they approach it you're going to react how it should be or whatever it seems scary to kind of keep it open like that but like you said it's almost more freeing to me it's it once i started doing that and i, I kind of jumped i don't know however you want to cross that line i was like ah, fuck it let's just let's try it because i had some sessions this mm. is a while back once i got into that sort of way of just kind of mapping out the key points and then just i don't know not defining exactly how i think each thing is gonna, it was kind of freeing like you said, and it was almost relaxing in a sense, like I don't stress as much, you know, cause I'm not prepping out every fucking detail and thinking of, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I can just kind of map it out and then just kind of walk through it in my head and stuff and all the tangents. Oh, cool. Yeah. That's how this guy would probably react. This is how this would probably go down. Okay, cool. I wonder what they're going to do. Let's see. Here we go. Start streaming. Good luck to all of us. Yeah. You know? like, but it's fun. It's not our and job. Like, it's not our yeah. job to create solutions. It's our job to create yeah. problems. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, you set problems in front of people. Yeah, oh, it was just reiterating. Gotcha. No, um, before because I think we're about that point where we would move over to Chumba Chat. But before we get to that, there is something I would like to bring up in this sort of uh, topic. Net running in Red, I think we can all agree, is significantly better than it was in 2020. But what I'm curious <laughs> about is how each of you handles a net run. Um, specifically because um, net running is something where I've sort of I've built out the dungeons or the elevators before. I've I mean I actually was on the test team for Cyberpunk Red. I'm I literally see. the first name in the playtest credits. <laughs> and before I go into that spiel, I, I'm curious how you guys are handling net running. Uh, so, so you first. Yeah, no, you go. Oh, thanks. Uh, so uh, I, I based my campaign about Netrunning because it was so exciting and new. And I did a sort mm. of a hybrid. So a couple of things I did using the the, the rolling rules off the tables and then populating mm. that. That's quite fun. And other ones I did were kind of curated. There was one that was like based on the, the labyrinth uh, in Greek mythology. So I made it maximum floors with lots of branches and I put lots of dangerous things oh, in yeah. there. And then I put unique programs in it, which could give you like thesis, the sword and shield and like buff you up. Cool. So I think it really depends on the the purpose of the net run. If it's just like uh, the security for this building, you can be a bit more loose and you can just roll for, for your black ice and stuff. If it's mm-hmm. like a culmination of a set piece, then maybe, you know, um, be a bit more um, hands on about it and be like, OK, I want to have these robots these two walking drones so I'll, I'll put them in different parts of the net to make it harder to disable them and then i want to put this very precious campaign ending piece of information i'll bury that at the bottom of the uh of the net so yeah i think it depends on what it's for and then i will i will uh either curate it or, or just let the dice tell me what to do 
Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Because sometimes, like you said, you might want like a certain environment defense or a drone or something that's like maybe you didn't roll to have a demon in that system, so that's not going to work. So it's like, nah, you kind of got to manipulate it. But um, but I've also done it rolling to the charts, and sometimes that's fun. But I, I, I'm not going to lie. Even when I roll on all the charts, I'll always end up changing something. Like I'll eh, nah. mm. <laughs> or I'll roll twice and be like, yeah, that one instead. <laughs> it's a jumping off point, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you get five floors of gnarly black ice in a row for what you thought was just like the the local net for a gas station or something yeah. you uh, start to wonder what the hell are they doing at that gas station yeah <laughs> normalize it or lean into the weirdness uh, <laughs> when i do when i build net runs i rely on the tables a lot and i think that you know for big for big ops certainly i will usually do a, a couple of key things that i know i need to have in there like What's the treasure at the bottom? Why are we here? That's at the bottom. That's the most annoying. But I'll allow the tables to do a lot of the population. Uh, what's most important for me is that I put the access points somewhere dangerous where there's conflict to get in. And mm-hmm. I cre- I have other things. I always make sure that there are other things going on in the meat space scene that will put the Netrunner in danger to make sure that the rest of the team stays engaged. Whether those are uh-huh. social challenges or combat challenges, I keep a little bag of complications to throw at them. So it doesn't turn into the problem that you had in 2020, which is the Netrunner going up to the Crystal Palace and just being on their completely side thing while everyone else just fiddles their thumbs in the van. You know, just sits there and uh, we call that Decker Sessions in Shadowrun, uh, where you literally just say, well, uh, I'm going to go play something else for the next three hours. (laughs) Have fun, GM and Decker. Uh, But no, the reason I... Sorry, go ahead. Well, all I was going to say was, um, (laughs) God, we're... I love it. So, <laughs> it's the delay, isn't it? It's the delay. It's the delay, yeah. Um, you finish your point first. Okay, yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where I think red is a good step in the right direction. Um, I really think that with a few modifications, I think red's net running might be the standard moving forward, especially based on how much popularity it's gotten, especially to, to the direct competitor, at least in my mind, Shadowrun. Um However, then this is a caveat, and I'm 99% sure I can say this, but if not, Jay Gray, Jay Gray will yell at me later. And I got my, I got my, um, fi- I got my finger on the uh, stop streaming button. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, get, I get mean, me nervous, the NDA is passed. Just meet you him. Know. That's yeah. yeah, I was going to say, the NDA is passed. Oh, God. <laughs> well, that's great. I got Max Tech out my window. Great. Um, <laughs> let's just say that in, in the net running playtest, can't do super details, but... It was one of those things where we found the optimal sort of net runner was already at interface seven. And what I'm curious, and this is sort of leading into Chumba chat, maybe, because um, I did see a, a note about it in chat, is I'm curious what you all do about the net running DVs, because rules as written, um, the net runner just gets their interface plus uh, a D10, which is a completely different DV chart. Um, than any other thing in the system. And to mm. my knowledge, the only time in the rule book that they give you a sample DV is when you're building a player-owned architecture. So you sort of run mm. into that problem, or so I found, where you're sort of floundering as the GM, like, okay, I need to give him a challenge, but is an 8 DV enough? Is it too no, little? But- and... In the book, I thought they, 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 have, they have that section yeah. where they have the three different DVs based on what rank they are. So you, like, I think the max one they suggest mm. is like 12, which is your average. So if you're at that 7 to 10 rank, 
once you hit that seven right. or whatever, your average dice roll of five plus that would be twelve. I think it's something like that, like eight. Yeah, I mean, there's 12. there's probably something there. So I you just, just increase that DV. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, it's there. It, it's there. A couple of other things was, are you. Sorry, cool. carry on. No, 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 you go. This time you go. <laughs> so the the other thing, obviously, to modify those roles is is program choice that gives people a mm-hmm. bit more of a um, uh, some more levers to 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 tip the tip the dice on those roles. So that can mm-hmm. really help uh, if you think something's a bit more challenging. You look at their program list. Have you have they acquired some more powerful programs? You can maybe hit those DVs up a little bit higher. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, you know, it is just that same modifier. And then J, um, the the Cyberpunk Red RTG's Twitter recently did a really cool thread about mm-hmm. how to combine uh, other roles, other um, skills with net running to help uh, boost you up. So creativity, allowing room for creativity, for say like bureaucracy. Oh, I know this is a standard uh, security level five net for this company it will contain this many flaws or it will have this kind of black ice, this kind mm-hmm. of password can help uh, mitigate those, uh, the, those stopping points with the uh, low level net runner. Yeah. And it's, it's really, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, again, I think net running great step in the right direction. Um, but at least in my case, what I've had is I've had previous Shadowrun players come into my game and they'll be like, well, I want to do this. Like, I understand I have to be on site and I, I want to take over that drone or I want to take over that camera or something like that. And I sort of set them up in the elevator. And what happens more often than not is, and we sort of talked about this earlier, the dice don't really go in the player's favor. So you sort of are sitting there like, well, uh, you're supposed to be this super class hacker and you can't get past a simple DV12 password or DV8 or, you know, whatever the DV should be. And it's one of those things where I actually asked Jay Gray about it and Jay's response was just use luck. Yeah, I mean, the whole idea there is, I mean... What, what do you say at that point? Every time a solo does a bad roll and misses a shot, you're like, well, a solo is supposed mm. to be a badass, you know, that kind of, you know, sometimes the dice fuck you up and that's just how the dice roll. And, you know, you, maybe you should have put some luck on it. One thing about luck too, I wanted to mention a little homebrew idea, which I saw wandering DM do, and I put a little twist on it. He allowed his players to drop luck afterwards. And I know prior, you're supposed to do it prior. So you don't know what you're supposed to beat if you need it or not. I put a little twist on that. My players, I'm, I'm allowing them, they can drop luck on it, obviously, beforehand, and it counts, whatever. If they want to drop it after, it, it, you have to drop twice the amount per one, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So, like, yeah, if you want to wait, and you're like, ah, oh, damn, if I just, all right, I just needed two more points. All right, I'm using my four points of luck to get those two points if they want to do it after. So I, I allow that a little bit, um, and it's been kind of fun. Uh, they haven't really done mm-hmm. it that much, but it's, they've, uh, it's been fun. What, yeah. One thing I've been doing with net runs is I tend to keep the DVs of the basic infrastructure control nodes passwords stuff like that i'm a little bit chill with those uh Mm -hmm. i I tend to be like okay you know it's dva is standard even though when i first was running because it's the only skill in the game where you don't add a stat it threw me for a loop but i was like i know this is a badass hardcore corpo security but it's a dva because mathematically that's going to be what it's about so they can still feel pretty confident when and feel competent and cool when they're running around in the network hacking stuff, because I'll just send more scary black ice after them. Like I would rather be sliding around in the network, being a cool person doing all this stuff, but have that pressure of all these systems trying to kill them. I feel like that's a better, uh, it's better tension 
because let's say they run into a low DV password and it stops them, and now they're freaking out because the black ice is chasing them. Yeah, it's not mm. long. They're still going to get past it, but they're not going to sit there just beefing roll after roll after roll. Yeah, yeah, no, it's more fun yeah, that think, way, I like think, you said. <laughs> I definitely agree that that um, you you have to sort of understand what what the control nodes and passwords are, are, what they represent and what they're for. You know, it's getting hung up on IDing a file it might add a little bit of tension in the moment, but you shouldn't kind of keep someone stuck there. And the other thing about passwords is like, yes, they um, uh, they will stop your movement, which is great when you're being chased, but they also prevent um, pathfinders from mapping out the net. So they can be a really good cutoff for like, oh, I'm just going to map out this whole, if that's the style of the Netrunner, I'm going to map out this whole net and then choose where to go. Oh, sorry, you hit a password. That's the end of your Pathfinder role. Sorry about that. And so you, um, they don't need to be high DVs to accomplish that. They just need to be set in the architecture. And I definitely agree. The hazard there is the black ice, which is where the player gets agency. Do I slide from this black ice? Do I bail because I'm getting too ripped up in here? Do I just keep powering through to get to my objective and jack out? And so I think it does feel sucky to get stuck behind a password because it's passive. Whereas if you're fighting black ice, it feels more engaged. Oh yeah, way more um, fun. The only thing I wanted to finish on that was the caveat that I think it's actually okay sometimes to have a DECA session if it's not like the whole session, right? Particularly if it's like very story-based, uh, like it's a very culminating moment and the net is particularly dangerous for that person, say. Yeah, maybe keep make sure it maybe has a bit of a, a, a time clock so they can't be super cautious. But if you think about it, a net runner only gets to do interface when they're in a net, right? And so if, you, if you're visiting a black market, a night market, and you're having a social situation in a club or whatever, they might go ages before doing stuff, whereas the tech might get to repair this here, fix that there, upgrade this here. The net runner only gets to do stuff if they're in a net, right? Oh, yeah. So I think it's okay sometimes to go, okay, guys, spotlight. Here's a net run, a really dangerous net run. Let's give this player some spotlight and hope your players and encourage your players to support them through that by getting invested in the danger that their fellow player is in. I wouldn't do that for every net run. Good to have other things happening at the same time. But Almost don't be definitely. afraid every so often to say, net runner, now's your time to shine. Everyone focus in. Let's see if they can make it without yeah, I getting think, their brain um, melted. When I do that, I don't like to do a whole session like that but i definitely no. it's i think it's important like in almost every session i do every campaign i build there's at least real life systems for them to interact with you know if you're going to go to a store an office some there's going to be the general systems that keep truck track of their inventory and shipping receiving and employee uh scheduling and the lights the locks the fire suppressive mm. system little fun things they might be able to fuck with like you know whether it's light or the sprinkler system or things are a little defense and then there's also the main system which is like campaign involved but maybe has some more dangerousness to it some other black ice and it's more involved for the campaign more things that they can control that can manipulate the gameplay, so to speak, or whatever. And I like to always just have those opportunities everywhere because it is cyberpunk. I mean, unless you're in the Badlands in the middle of fucking nowhere, obviously. But, you know, if you're in the city, there's there's systems all over the place, shops and people's places. And you know what I mean? So there's always fun for the net runner. And I, I agree. I, I never lean away from that because it's like if you're a net runner, how often do you get to really shine with that? Whereas like a solo is constantly getting mm. to be stealthy, persuade, use a weapon, or other people are always doing that where a net runner they're really only shining when they get to get into a system so you got to give them that and, there, and it's ar 
So like I think Joseph, like you said earlier, you can always keep keep the threat on them in the meat space and you know their team has to do things in between their actions to protect them or do other things and like everyone can still have fun you know and just literally everybody... throw a hound with the hellhound exactly hey <laughs> um and mike yeah i know we kind of stepped on the chumba chat you already made the announcement i already switched the graphic because we're already kind of into yeah. it because uh, someone in the chat did mention about net running we're already diving into it anybody in the chat um, if you have any questions for any of us GMs or in general, whatever, just put that in the chat and we'll try to try to mention it. We usually like to spend, I don't know, like 10, 10 15 minutes if you got questions doing that at the end of the show here. Um, but yeah. Let's see. I see one by <laughs> P, uh, PW Bind, uh, Night Markets. Are they like flash mobbing, secret until revealed, and then public knowledge? <laughs> Um, that's a funny way to know, put it. Are they like flash, flash mobbing? Like all of a sudden they appear, you know, and like everyone sees it. Uh, I mean, are you like in that. the know? Are you are you someone who mm. knows the local fixes? Then it's maybe it's public knowledge, and it depends what kind of night market, right? Is it is it set up for like some real nasty black market cyberware? Then maybe only you know five people know about it, and mm. if anyone else finds out about it, heads will roll. That's kind if of like it's the, for kibble, the kibble. Yeah, you know it's uh, or a, a secret rave where you have to be on the distro list. But if you make friends with somebody really cool, they'll let you know. And if you happen to stumble upon it, sure. But I imagine most of them aren't like, oh yeah, I just go down to my local night market to pick right. up some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's all about contacts. It's all, and so if you think oh, about yeah. it as trying to get into an exclusive party, then you'll be in the you know the right sort of mindset. Yeah. Well, the idea is like, you know, you some can't, bodies are more exclusive than others. Yeah. And you can't source shit that's, you know, pre uh, past premiums so or anything up to a hundred, you know, you need a fixers hookup to source it or their night market. Mm-hmm. And it's very fixer based. So like Phil said, it's all about who, you know, you know, at least that's how, how I think we all agree on it anyways. Like in the city, it's not like, like you said, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go down to the lo- local night market. You know, it's yeah. definitely uh, one and, of the things it RTP definitely comes and goes. Emphasis- don't forget in the book yeah. it says they always put it on something mobile. I really like that. I always put mine on like the the back of a huge, tr- you know, truck uh, or on the back of a cargo ship that's been converted with the containers mm-hmm. hollowed out. Like it's always on something so they can get the fuck out of out of town or out of the area if they have to and when it's I, over. You know, I like the idea of like a parking garage and like just boots, oh, yeah. like your trunks open. You know, yeah, and I love that. Slam yeah. them closed and all burn out if they need to. But I think well, the I other thing watch. that RTG, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um need a little kibble um yeah i think the rtg <laughs> emphasized the fact that this city night city is in this set of flux where a lot of the stuff in 2020 you might go to an actual store to get there's a lot of stuff that just you just can't get hold of reliably you know mm-hmm. and and the smaller night markets the more regular night markets uh you know might happen quite often to help people just get the day-to-day stuff that they need medical supplies medical grade cyberware, uh, food and, and um, you know, basic tech, microwaves, whatever, you know, you don't, you can't go to a shop for that. So you might have a low level night, ma- night market for that stuff. So I like the idea that particularly the smaller ones are quite, quite common. They happen quite a lot. And then mm-hmm. you can, you can have different, and don't forget different modes. The, the midnight market, like you said, you have the different calibers. I mean, you get all the way up to the top. Mm-hmm. You might go to a very exclusive night market put together by multiple top level, level fixers that also are putting on a little private midnight market somewhere 
within the night market. There's like a hidden back room or something or I don't know, whatever. And that's where like all the mob, you know, crime bosses and top, top fixers and yeah, evil motherfuckers are meeting up doing business and networking information in possible games. Got all the security standing around in mirror shades. I just worked in uh, in my last uh, one shot uh, that I did that number three, I worked in uh, uh, David Ling Poe. That guy who runs a division of the triad and runs all of Little China, kind of a top-level exec, but definite crime boss. And he was having a midnight market with a fixer mentor of the lower-level fixer of the party. So then his mentor invited them to the night market as a favor. They got to do this gig because uh, everything was at the night market. I didn't do it ro- base rolled on the charts. I did it where anything that the players wanted, there was a 50-50 chance it was there, and they got to roll for it. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, they but, make great scenes, great yeah. places to have scenes. Oh, yeah. I love it. And then they got pulled into the night market, got to talk to Ling Po, do a little dealing, and that's how they got their gig and stuff. It just it kind of took the night market danger to like that next-level danger within it where you're stepping into this room where everyone's dangerous, way on a different level, you know? Love it. Well, here's a follow-up question is how many of you have like actual player character fixers in your groups? Because as all things, all groups are different. And I'm just curious, you know, if your fixers are sort of going for the end game of, I want to host my own midnight market one day. I know ours is in that group. He really wants it played by, and that's Reservoir Panda. Shout out to GM Reservoir Panda. He's a fellow GM under the Cyberpunk Uncensored brand. Yeah, he's streaming on Sundays now for us. Um, but, um, yeah, we have a fixer in the, in the one shot, uh, played by renegade 420 online, Rothen, Um, and that's one of his end goals. He says he, he's, he's enjoying how it's been going, getting to meet through his mentor, Ling Po and work his way up. He, he wants to get more into the crime boss level and get to that level of throwing night markets and midnight markets. He loves that, that, that scene, you know, I don't have a current fixer. I had one in my, um, uh, 2020 campaign who was, uh, more about, climbing was more of like an information broker than a sort of a dealer in goods so i think there's a different uh uh kind of style you can go and i think the other thing i like about fixers is in the in red is their emphasis on their kind of ability to to surf between cultures i think that's a really good other thing to emphasize if kind of dealing in night markets is not your thing uh you can instead be like a skills broker. You're like the only guy who can talk to the maelstrom, right? Because you just know, you just know how they do stuff. Um, I think that's a good alternative. Oh, and they're definitely uh, loved by the team because they get that extra operator addition to their trading. So anytime a team member is trying to buy something or sell something, uh, our, the fixer in that team got to, he goes by, he always steps in and is like, can I haggle for them? Hold on, step back. Let me see if I can get that 10% <laughs> cheap, cheaper for you. You know, and like, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> well, the good fixer is actually going to get you 10% off, but they're going to keep that 10% right. right. So <laughs> that's, that's what ours does. Yeah, I was only able our to get you 5% off. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and here's my cut. Uh, we, have, we have a fixer in our party who's played by Sideshow, who's a, an esports analyst and caster, and he sort of plays these conniving characters in all the campaigns that he's done so far. And our first adventure we did was the apartment because we started with the Jumpstart kit. And you know, the fixer who's in charge of the apartment is supposed to be Rex, who keeps control of the combat zones. Due to an incident involving uh, an ice cream truck and some explosives, Rex died in our campaign. So his whole goal now is to step in to fill that power vacuum as being the one who keeps, who decides where the combat zone ends and keeps all the gangs in check. That's become his I love new that. goal. Is to be, like 
the shadow puppet who moves into that uh, power vacuum. That's cool. I like that. Yeah, it's a really good idea. What um, yeah, I think think we co- covered that. You know, like I said, anybody in chat got any questions? Put them in real quick. I had a question myself. I, I'm always curious about this, and I do this typically when I do interview stuff. But what's everybody's favorite? I know we're all GMs, you know. But what's everyone's favorite uh, character? Like, if if you were to play, or if you when you do get the chance to play, or whatever. For me, it's always been Fixer. Ironically, as we're talking about it, but recently because I did an exec breakdown and the way Red does exec with with uh, teamwork and you get team members and all, that, I'm really interested in trying to play an exec sometime in the future. But how how do you guys feel about players? What do you guys like? I guess I'll go first. Um, and to my knowledge, not everybody's playtest character made it into the final book. Um, I know of two characters that are quite literally playtest characters. Not going to tell you which because that would spoil the mystery. <laughs> Um, but even back when we were doing character generation playtesting, my favorite thing to do was to make a tech whose sole goal was to somehow get to full Borg. And full Borg isn't even in the rules yet. Um, so it's sort of this nebulous goal that they're always shooting for. Um, but their sort of signature deal is that they have the extra shoulder mounts and they dual wield bows. And that was like their whole shtick. <laughs> And it, I'm just going to imagine how that looks. It's, it's not well, yeah, well, so you've got one set of arms that's like, Holding yeah, I know. I've got it. Yeah. The other and, one's pulling. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I just oh, thought that was both it. interesting, not only from a character generation perspective where, yeah, at square one, I could make a quad armed dual bow wielder, <laughs> but also a tech that had, you know, a path forward of what are my motivations kind of a thing. Cause honestly, the life path stuff that you see now we didn't get to see that until, well, everybody else did. So, we used 2020's life path. It had consequences. <laughs> uh, so I've I've built a character. I'm going to be playing John John's game, so I get to play soon. Yay! Uh, <laughs> I built a med tech. I was really interested in. Oh yeah, in I remember together. you talking about that character. It's so cool. I love that. Yes. Yeah, so she's a uh, she's 72, I believe. Um, she's called Grandma by everyone. Uh, and to justify that she's at rank four, I think she's been like, she's done a lot of stuff in her life. And then she's sort of been asked to join the kind of the medical team in heaven. So uh, she's just sort of starting out with her, you know, cryo pump certification. Um, so I think there's a lot of stuff in medtech that just, it, it's like a whole new role, essentially. So that's why I was really, really keen to see how it played out. And I love the different ways you can put the options. It's a little bit fiddly. You have to do a kind of close reading of it. But the way they put it together is really nice. So you have the three different things you can put stuff in. You have um, surgery. Every point you put in surgery, you get two points to the surgery skill. And then you have two tech skills. So you have cryopump tech and you have pharmaceuticals. And any points in those contribute to the medical tech skill, which you can use to repair equipment and um, make roles for creating pharmaceuticals and operating your cryopump and stuff. And then alongside that with your rank, a bit like the exec gets their, their condo and stuff, you get like a cryo pump or a body bag you can freeze people in or a, or like an actual stasis tube, like a back to tank from Star Wars you can stick people in. Um, so I, all that stuff is like really fresh and new. So I was like, I want to test this out. That's I want to awesome. get the, I want to get some pharmaceutical stuff in there. Um, yeah, the pharmaceuticals that, te- that that's that my favorite. Are rad. With They're really text? good. Like, 
Yeah, I had I I, I, I I was a bit boring, and I took this the heal one, which just gives ah, you a dose of HP. I love that, uh, but it's that super heal. useful, right? Yeah. Um, but I really like I was that it was between that one and the one that basically lets you forego sleep for a day, because I would just I want that I want it in my own life. Yeah, yeah isn't there <laughs> the, the thing we all know? Yeah, isn't there the stim that that like you don't get addicted to or whatever too? Like as long as you only use one a day or something? I forget. Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah, I love that too. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think there's I like five pharmacy. different pharmaceuticals. Yeah, yeah and every, every you can every time you put a few points in it, you get access to a new pharmaceutical, and then you can create stuff to take into the field. I just think it's a really it's it's really fresh. Like it's it's uh, a big departure from what was in twenty. So I just wanted I really want to test drive it. Oh yeah. Did everybody say like, their favorite, Joseph? Did you do one of your favorites yet, or what you... No, yeah, you did. You what made... you would play, or what you think is the most interesting. Yeah, full board dual-wielding bows. Mm-hmm. It's hard uh, to top, isn't it? It is. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I would play, because I've been... like I, I basically came on board to run the show, learned the rule set, and immersed myself. I kind of want to play a Nomad, largely because no one in my campaign has run one yet. And as much as I've invested a lot of time into understanding Night City, which is the star setting for for Cyberpunk, right? Like if, if you're introducing people to the setting, you do Night City. Uh, but I would love to do a Road Warrior campaign, a Mad Max campaign somewhere out in the wastelands. And so I think playing a Nomad or a Tech under those circumstances would be really cool. Oh, yeah. well, I think this. Uh, you, oh, you go ahead. This is like, you know, you can you can work in some like ruined highways in the cities, I think. So I did a road encounter where our nomad uh, took the team into the hot zone and we used like the old broken elevated highways to do like a combat encounter. So there was there's ways to work in vehicle stuff in the city. And then I had the final chapter take them out to Fresno um, uh, in the Great Valley so we could do some road stuff as well. So you can actually have... Um, I think you can work in Badland stuff if you really want to without having a campaign based out there. We've done a, we've right. done that a couple of times. We did one of the Jumpstart scream, scream sheets, the one where you steal the truck full of cheese. So we got to do <laughs> that. And uh, our finale is going to take place on the ocean with a, one of the oh, liners, cool. one of the, the cargo ships that went missing when the net crashed. Cool. I, I want to see a nomad instead of like taking a car, like a ground car as their initial vehicle, takes like a gyrocopter or something. Like, can I'm, you even I'm, do that I'm at rank way... four? I think you have yeah, to be like get... rank. I'm curious check. now. You, you can take a small. You can take. You can get like a jet ski, a gyrocopter, or a yeah, ground a, car, or not a, bike, a full helicopter, just a gyro. No, just a little little gyro. But yeah. I think that would be so cool. Just oh, like, yeah. oh, you're a nomad. Uh, what vehicle did you bring? Is it like a four by four? Is it a oh, no, no? It's like a it's like a micro light helicopter. Yeah, <laughs> and they whiz into the scene like <laughs> rota down onto a building top. First upgrade is speakers, so you can blast right at the Valkyries on the way in. <laughs> yeah, oh, yes, of course, please. of course. You got your solo hanging off the treads, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, um, PW Bind is is that the right username here? But uh. Has anyone taken the 25 years to develop a teenage Cyberpunk 2020 NPC into an adult red NPC? I actually have um, an NPC and some tech I invented back when I was a kid when I was into 2020. Um, I'm gonna I'm releasing some behind the scenes uh, videos on the Cyberpunk Uncensored YouTube. I just opened memberships and on Patreon, but 
um, showing my old collection, all kinds of fun, weird stuff. But um, one of the things I found, I have this trunk of all my old game stuff, is this notebook where I created these different, I don't know, just items and texts and weapons and things. And I was digging back through that and I had some NPCs that I pre-built and had some pretty interesting ones like this doctor um, that I brought into the ongoing weekly and stuff. Um, I just made him super old now because um, back then he was younger. So that's kind of like that. Um, but I made the jump. It's not like I kept him going, developed, stuck with the game all the way this many years, you know. But I did pull, <laughs> but I did pull some of that shit when I found it. I found all my old stuff. Uh, so that was pretty cool. Has anybody else done something like that? Not I. I think it would be interesting to to maybe set a game before forty five and and something in in the diaspora like or maybe even in like twenty five or twenty six or something after the bomb's gone off oh, yeah. and everything's uh, gone to shit. Like Mad I think Max it's a really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a really interesting uh, prompt there uh, from that question where you can say, well, the world changed a lot, right? Between twenty three and forty five, uh, and and we're we, you know the game is set in 45 because things are starting to turn around and it's this inflection point. But if you have an NPC who's lived through that, I think it's really gives them a really interesting kind of different take. Uh, and it's a really good sort of like character gives them some depth. You know, they, they lived through the Holocaust and the end of the war and, and saw the, the city nearly collapse and then kind of drag itself back. That's going to give them a different perspective. Oh Yeah salty and have some depth to their personality from all that um i like that uh, net runners right they who who used to run the old net and now does, they can't get into it anymore oh yeah. yeah my uh one of my net runners constantly complains about how they used to be able to do everything off-site <laughs> but now they're having to kick it and slum it with the solo and they're like i didn't know you smelled this bad and yeah. it turned <laughs> into a whole thing between them yeah, what's yeah, my net runner? He's he's a teenager, and so his dad was like a runner of the old net, and so uh-huh. he's like the bridge between the two. Nice. I was gonna say, uh, from from the same person in chat here, uh, PW Bind says, "What's your opinion of tech availability between 2020 and Red?" I, I like Red a lot more. I think you have more options in the way that they set it up based on price and the DV for a te- for a tech in particular to say by that role to be able to invent because you can fabricate anything from 2020 now anything you see you can fabricate but you can invent so as much as you can think of a gm can put a dv on it some time a cost of materials whatever make a whole session for them to have to source things to be able to make that item or whatever but i'm real happy with uh um, not just the diversity within the tech role but tech in general like you said between 2020 leading up to red because it's all that and then some in my mind anyways yeah and then a little bit extra i mean they've they've kind of made it so that because the world kind of had the brakes put on it because of the war. It's not super advanced to where it was. And mm-hmm. then I think the other thing that's really great about the, the there's a kind of politics of availability because everything is kind of ruined. And so you can make it a plot point to get hold of certain things. It doesn't have to be just like, oh, I want to go get this. It's like, oh, you want that, do you? Okay, well, here's, a, here's, here's the session, right? It's you trying to get this very this thing that you might be able to get very easily in 2020 now is it can be a whole plot point i like how that basically led to the power of the nomad families right where the Mm -hmm. nomad sort of outcast highly marginalized but by the time you get to the time of the red they were the only ones maintaining the supply chains etc and so that would be a major theme in a campaign like that oh yeah the only thing i would say is to almost play devil's advocate here is that in some of the communities I run in, there's sort of this 
they want to like red, but they're sort of tied to how many different options they had in 2020 where they were in about the brands. They were in about all the modifications. Red doesn't have that per se yet. I mean, yes, there is a way to convert 2020 to red. Um, but I would say that right now, I think 2020 has the bigger gear list. And I know that's a point sure. of contention for some people. Yeah, but, but I think that's a matter of patience, think, right? 2020 had years of development, and mm-hmm. Black exactly. Chrome is on the way. We know it's on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't tell us when, obviously, but it's they know that everyone is dying for those extra options, particularly cyberware options, and it's coming. I mean, but yeah. this is the reason why I still play Mountain Blade Warband, and I haven't switched over to Bannerlord, because there's so many more mods available for, mm-hmm. like, the 10-, 15-year-old game, right? So I'm just sitting there waiting for people to come out. But see, I think I hear that. the yeah. fact that Red incorporates Fabricate and Invent within the tech, and then they put the levels of DP, DV based on price, which also determines availability, it's all kind of inherent within the game itself mm-hmm. to where if you're even even not even a great, but even just a decent GM, you can look at 2020 and all that tech and be like, shit, convert... And then with invent, you can go yep. beyond. So to me, like, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't feel held back at all. I gotta, I gotta agree with the devil's devil's advocate situation there. Maybe we can each roll a one d ten so you get tired to see who won uh, that opinion on that. But <laughs> I've always wanted to do that. But uh, but no, I think uh, I, I gotta disagree. I think that twenty, you can take all that twenty twenty because Red's built the way it is. It's fairly easy mm-hmm. to do that cumber. But like Phil said, black chrome's on the way. You know, there's gonna be more because the more that the game gets popular, the more they're gonna create. Uh, assets and things and, for and, it and just look mm-hmm. at this you got a couple campaigns running campaigns running we're doing one shot small campaigns there's people that it, it's it's hit the ground running i think it's a very exciting time to be into it and yeah mm-hmm. if you're here at the beginning and you're like oh there's not as much stuff as 2020 you get to be along for the ride for seeing yeah. everything come out and well being put. excited about it well put that's so true um yeah i can't wait for source books they say in the chat i think we all agree um, you like the idea of creating addition, ad- additional custom programs and accessories for. Net- I love that too. I just kind of did that in, in the last session. The Netrunner uh, killed a guy, got a cyber deck, it has a backup drive. I left that as a little cliffhanger in that I didn't let him get into it yet. Um, but there's going to be some custom things in there. That's a great point to make. It's not just uh, about the. Uh, you know, the tech and stuff, it can be programs. And goddamn, right when I say that, Gizmo hops in the chat, which is Daniel, who plays the goddamn Netrunner in that ongoing hey. campaign. Just spoiled that. <laughs> if you he heard that, <laughs> right when I said it, he hops in chat. How ironic. How cr- Shh, he didn't hear it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and I think, you know, you could, if the players are really interested, Netrunning players are really interested, maybe they you can work with them to create programs. Yeah. They, oh, and, I love that. Go, oh, I'm... I want something that's like a hybrid attack defense oh. something. You're like, okay, well, let's let's turn it into a, a plot point and see if we I, can make something out of this. I just did a, a crash course video about drones where I explained that that possibility because people were uh, talking about, ah, I don't like how I, how can I do drones? They're just in an area controlled by a demon, and, and maybe if I do my agent, but I got to be within six meters. And I'm like, think outside the box. If a net runner knows a tech and they can invent, why not invent a system with the help of a net runner and the tech and put that in the fucking drone you want to control. So within six meters, you can walk around controlling, put it in your, in your van, in your security van. So anywhere you go, you're six meters of that. Think outside the box, invent it, create it. The GM will make it balanced. However it needs to be. Yeah. And, uh, I and think you can, can do you can a do remote it. controlled drone because it's totally 100%. within tech, right? Yeah. But you just, you just have to, to balance it by saying caveats. Like, okay, you got this remote control drone, but because it's not, controlled by like uh because it's at a distance you can't do it with a demon so you have to be at the controls and it's using your skills to to operate it right so you just 
you you balance it in a way that that makes sense but not cut off the person from their cool idea i just and i mean there is there is precedence for it i mean one of the scream sheets in the back of the core rule book literally gives the players control of drones as they're in a wood forest so there is precedent for this sort of thing mm-hmm. i think that stuff might end up coming out in splat books as well like a drone controller tech or something as a variant totally uh, Joseph, I mean, you, if it was in the now, I'd play. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that I think I already did that, and I wasn't even thinking about it at the time. Um, they did a whole mission where they're like, well, we need a drone. And all they needed the drone to do was be remote controlled and have video so they could, you know, strap a bunch of explosives to it. And I just went off of, okay, in the real world, we have quadricopters. That's not, you know, that's, so what would that logically be able to do? Okay, you can use your skills to do that. Uh, that's one of the advantages of this being in, a postmodern era is it's usually easy to adapt any real world tech as long as it and now that that red is out the path of the cyberpunk world's technological development has been brought a lot closer to our new understanding of the modern era you have agents and stuff like that right mm-hmm. so it's a lot easier to just extrapolate and make something up on the fly as long as it's not going to be too sophisticated but going back bit, to the splat book point, sorry I think that, yeah no i'll finish real fast um i think that wanting more options that is definitely something i sympathize with again having come from dnd 3.5 where i had two bookshelves of splat books and 200 prestige classes and all that obviously a, a dm who's been in the field for a while knows how to oh you have a cool idea that doesn't exist we'll make it happen but there is a certain level of convenience to knowing this is the way it's supposed to work because the game designer said it and i have the plug and play and i don't have to do the dev work and the other place where i think that's important is for onboarding new players because you're going to have people with the video game coming out interested in the lore interested in the world they find out there's an rpg they aren't really into tabletop rpgs but you know this is an on-ramp for them and that's one place where having pre-made oh i don't know how to free ball it yet the designers made this for me that's going to be a benefit to those customers so true yeah sure yeah Uh, i was just going to say there is something sort of buried in there in terms of when you look at the um it could be clearer, but it's it's in the um, the static defenses part of the book where you can use um, security tech to um, what's the word that they use? Um, it's not crack, uh, but you can override a piece of the the architecture mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. physically, right? And then operate it from your agent. So, like while you're in the building, you can control a ball rolling ball drone from your agent if you have done the ten minute um security tech check and you've passed it and then it's it's like if you don't have a net runner and you're attacking a building with security you could you know get your tech to actually like hack into the drone and put it on their on their agent maybe it can't leave the building you know because that's that's where it operates within um but i think there is stuff in the rules there that maybe ha- needs to be teased out but it's, th- there's a good starting point at least i think mm-hmm. Just real quick before it gets away with us. Um, I'm also a moderator for the Cyberpunk Red subreddit. I'm looking at the analytics. When 2077 dropped on December 10th, we were somewhere in the neighborhood of about 2K page views. We now average about 5K. So the video game coming out has significantly affected how many people are looking at at Cyberpunk Red right now. Oh, yeah. I've seen my my views on YouTube. um, And that's between the you know, crash course tutorials when red came out, uh, started 
you know, I had a big jump up, obviously, because it's very specific to that. But when the video game came out, um, I had a I had yeah. a big jump. And in you know, I, Cyberpunk Uncensored being a brand, not just me as a game master, we run a Discord, different groups, run social media and stuff with different GMs, players, all that. I saw a big influx there too, like more members joining the group online. And we have a private one on Facebook too, because um, I want to protect all the members. It's all uncensored and stuff, not unmoderated, but uncensored. It can be anything cyberpunk. But um, it's it's cool that you mentioned a lot the Reddit, more people. There's a place to yeah, there's a place to also discuss some of these ideas. That if you if you're like I want to do something, it's not in the book yet. I don't sure how to balance it. I'm not sure how to work it. There are communities that yeah, are growing point. all the time. Whether whether you're on um, Cyberpunk Consensus Discord or the Discord of a game that you really enjoy, or you know the Cyberpunk Red Reddit, there are lots of places where you can float ideas and bring things up and say, "Oh, I think this is this is missing," or "I don't know how to interpret this." There's lots of people now in the community who will give you ideas. Or any any of us GMs. I know I'm very accessible. I just was chatting with um, some girl. Her and her husband run a podcast, and she saw the drone video that I was talking about. I said, "Oh, he was just." wondering if he could have one away from a system maybe a portable system i didn't even think about putting it in the drone he wants to do a little one and i kind of helped her because she's the gm for them uh kind of make that balanced in a way to do what he wanted to do and stuff and so there's all these communities out there and then there's so many gms out there um and most of them like i said like myself i'm sure you guys are excited you know when people want to talk to me about cyberpunk i'm like hell yeah let me let's talk i want to i want to help you know so definitely, if, if you don't find the right community, just look for your nearest GM and be like, hey, how, how can I make that work? Or how do you think this could be balanced or what, you know? Yeah, I think uh, we've tapped out the questions here. I think it's a lot of agreeing on things about the uh, the splat books and black chrome and everyone agrees on all that good stuff. And I think we're all black on the City same Source page. Book. Hell yeah. But no, I think that was a great episode, guys. We covered a lot of campaign building and... Um, you know, all our, our current and upcoming endeavors. We had some, some good Chumba chat stuff going on here. It was a great episode. Um, I'm glad you guys uh, were able to all make it and we were able to make it work, uh, being in different time zones and such as well. Uh, we'll do more episodes upcoming. Anybody watching too, I want to let you know, I'm going to get everybody's links. Make sure, uh, I know I, I've got Phil's, Phil's, and you know we've been doing every episode of uh, GM Roundtable. Uh, but Joseph, Mike, I know this is your first episode. Make sure uh, on the Discord, um, just post you know, the, the top links that you guys want promoted that you mainly drive people to. Because uh, at the end, I'm going to put everybody's links in the description of this live stream. Also, it's going to go on to uh, uh, the Cyberpunk Uncensored YouTube. I archive all the stuff there. And then I usually grab all the audio and throw it onto the podcast, which goes out everywhere. We've been ranking like crazy in all kinds of countries and stuff. I post that on the, on the Twitter. So there's going to be multiple ways that people can get in touch with everybody. I'm going to include everybody's shit there because all of us do live gameplay and podcasts and videos and interviews and all kinds of cool shit. And everybody needs to look up all of our stuff. So any, any, anybody else? Really exciting time. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else uh, parting words or things you want to say? All I would say is that Jay Gray, I meant what I said earlier during the playtest date. If, if we ever get to do conventions again, I will buy you a beer. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I really appreciate you uh, having me on. That's pretty much all I got to say. Go ahead. No, the only thing I was going to add is that there's a small story there about how we hounded Jay Gray during playtesting, but don't think I can talk about that one. Uh, yeah, thanks again for having having me on, Rob. Uh, if you can't get your cyberpunk fixed, just like hold a controller and look out the window. Um, stay safe, <laughs> everybody. Uh, these are interesting times that we live in. Um, uh, keep keep your friends close and keep gaming. It's a good way to, to keep your mind off things. 
Hell yeah. Perfect. Thanks everybody tuning in. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye.